everybody and welcome back to the Because We Went to Therapy podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Emily. And today we have an awesome guest that we connected with over Instagram. She's the founder and cast host of The Revolutionized Mind. So we're she's a fellow mental health advocate. I think that's the best way that we describe ourselves as well. So it's really cool to get to connect with her. So Angelica, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you got into like the podcasting and mental health space? Yeah, for sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy we got to connect and I guess learn more about each other through these episodes. Um, But my name's Angelica. I am the host of the Revolutionized Mind podcast. And I have mainly become an advocate because of what I went through with my own mental illness journey. And that started in high school, which I'm sure we're going to get a little bit into. Um, But beyond that, I guess, just as I went through my own experiences and my own adversity, I was a high level athlete as well. I played soccer. So going through injuries and things like that, I kind of just have seen a lot of ups and downs along my journey. So I just became really passionate about talking about the hard times and sharing those, I guess, not so great parts of what everybody goes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing. And you're based in Canada right now, correct? That's where you're yes, from originally? I'm from the Toronto area. Okay, awesome. Never made it up there. Emily, have you been <laughs> to Canada? No, I've never been to Canada, but I definitely want to go. Might have to move there, so we'll see. Yeah, right. Same. You might be getting some new neighbors soon. I've heard Toronto is very similar to Chicago. My dad's been, and he says it's pretty similar to Chicago, um, which is where I'm from. Um, Ashley's from a different part of Illinois, but have you been to Chicago? Would you say that's accurate? Have I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have not. So I'm mm. unsure, but Toronto is just very typical city, like very, very busy. All the events are down there. So it's pretty hectic. Yeah. Okay. You'll have to come visit Chicago sometime and hit <laughs> us up. I mean, Emily's in Arizona right now, but I feel like we're both in Chicago all the time. So definitely a great place to visit. And I've been wanting to get up to Toronto and then also Emily and I have been talking about going to, was it Lake Louise or Banff Banff. for like five years or something now? And we Mm -hmm. just never have made it up. I haven't been out West, but it looks beautiful. I want to go so bad. It's definitely on my bucket list. Yes. Yeah. We can all take a trip at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Canada is a super big country, so it makes sense that you haven't been everywhere. (laughs) Just like how we haven't been everywhere in the States. Right. Fair, fair, fair. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. at the beginning of every episode, um, we do an actually curious question. This one is a little bit related to athletics, since I know you talk about you're an athlete yourself. So I'll ask you first, and then Emily and I will go. So um, what what one athlete do you think is the greatest of all time that you respect or admire? And this can be not necessarily for their athletic achievements. It can be for literally any reason okay I think I have mine already actually um so her name is Abby Wambach she's the greatest U.S. soccer player of all time and I think she's also beaten out some men with goals scored so cheers to that um but she is married to my favorite author Glennon Doyle who wrote Untamed my favorite books incredible um 
So I love everything they do. They're also just huge advocates, feminists, and people who fight for general human rights. So a lot of what they promote on there, they both have really big platforms, is fighting for things that I'm also passionate about. So that's why I love Abby as a person. I just think she stands for all the right things and has always stayed true to herself. And in terms of soccer, she was always just a great athlete that I could look up to. And she was the best female soccer player who I wanted to be like. So that's my answer. Yeah, I love that. It's funny how some athletes, like I know Abby Wambach, like as a soccer player, kind of secondary to her work in the mental health and social justice space and like equal pay for the women's U.S. soccer team. So I think it's really cool how athletes can kind of have that duality with them where they're not just athletes but they can also be known as activists too which I know sometimes people are like oh keep that stuff out of sports but I'm like no these people are so influential and can have such a far-reaching impact obviously and the first person that came to my mind when I thought the athlete that I admire the most is definitely Simone Biles for me like I have never been a gymnast myself but I love watching um gymnet or gymnastics in the Olympics every year and I just thought it was so amazing when she kind of took a step back for her mental health this year I remember seeing the news while I was at the gym in the morning and like almost crying because I was just so happy for her to be able to like put her mental health first and take a step back and just being so pissed off at anybody who had anything like negative to say about it so i thought that was you know really brave of her so kind of you know same theme as yours it's not necessarily tied to just their athletic ability Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm gonna piggyback off of the the two of you because i i i'm not like a huge sports person but i definitely admire except baseball i love baseball but I don't really think that they're um, necessarily the greatest in talking about their mental health and uh, being inclusive. But I feel like I love I love seeing any athlete who uses their platform for um, something other than sports and fame. Right. Like even Kevin Love, who's a basketball player, he's really big on talking about his history with depression and anxiety. And he has like a whole foundation for mental health. And he's like a straight white guy. So I feel like that's so great when um, people with privilege can speak out about like how they struggle with their mental health, too, and that athletes are humans just like anyone else. And so not like a specific person, but just on like some mobiles, anyone who all the, I feel like all the U.S. women's soccer team is so admirable because they all fought for equal pay, and then they they got it right. They were the first team to, um, first women's team to get equal pay, and I just think that's awesome because why were they not in the first place? You know what I mean? Like they're right. arguably better than um, the men's U.S. soccer team. So, yeah, I couldn't name one U.S. men's soccer player off the top of my head. I mean, I don't really watch soccer a ton, so I guess that's why, but I can name multiple women. Mm -hmm. So, at least to me, they have more name recognition and probably definitely should be getting paid equally. But something that I noticed throughout our conversation, I don't know if you two agree with me at all, but it seems like the theme is at least maybe it's just who we're paying attention to more, but it seems like women athletes seem to be a little bit more open and honest about their mental health and I don't know if that's just 
you know, the culture with women being more known to talk about like Mm -hmm. their feelings and being a little bit vulnerable in that way about their mental health. And then within the culture of sports with men, it's just not as talked about or as accepted, or maybe the support isn't there. I'm sure there's lots of different reasons, but it's just something I noticed. Yeah, I think that um, the girls, if they talk about it, it's not really a big event for most cases. Whereas when the men come out, you know, if you have a big football player coming out as gay or somebody's, some hockey players talking about his battle with depression, like it makes front page news and it's this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to see as well for other people that, you know, it is okay to speak up. You can be a professional athlete who still struggles sometimes. So that's a good message. But I think it is, I guess, normalizing a bit more and it is, you're starting to see a balance of both. Um, But yeah, I think I agree with what Emily was saying, how just like any person with a platform, if they use it towards good, towards trying to make some sort of positive change, I think they just have to be admired for beyond their athletic ability. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that's why my mind went straight to Kevin Love, because he is a man who's really outspoken about his uh, relationship with mental health. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a great conversation. So to pivot a little bit, uh, can you give us a little bit more in depth about your background and kind of what, I guess, the events leading up that spurred your mental health advocacy? I feel like it's probably pretty similar to Emily and I's journey, too. I feel like everyone has this, like, mental health journey, especially around high school and college age, was especially tough for me. I can't speak for Emily as well, but um, so go ahead and tell us. Yeah, really fun time in my life. Um, I would say about like grade nine. Oh, sorry, wait, you guys say freshman, not grade nine. Um, (laughs) First year of high school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First year of high school, I just started struggling more with like my own self, my body image, who I was, like what friend group I was a part of and things like that. And Mm I started noticing declines in my mental health, just like really extreme mood swings, um, unable to like control those mood swings, very irritable, like common signs. Um, But it was just pretty much chalked up to me being like, you know, a moody teenager who was very hormonal. Um, And that's what I thought too. I'm like, oh, this is normal. I just have it worse than most people. Like I'm so snappy. I'm up and down. I go from being like the happiest kid on earth to like, not wanting to be alive within like the span of an hour um so it was a really rocky time and like really difficult to navigate because of the messages i was getting number one just like not knowing what was going on with me um and then just a lot of stigma around actually opening up and telling people even though i had like the best support system i still have my same friends from high school to this day like my family's always been there it's just you know, I was struggling and I didn't know what it was, what it was called. I later learned it was clinical depression. So it was something that, you know, like clinical kind of means that it can come and go. There doesn't always have to be a trigger. Um, So it's something I've had to learn and deal with over the years. But um, I think getting diagnosed for me was a really big step because it allowed me to acknowledge actually what it was. And it wasn't me just, you know, 
being really moody and, you know, having these horrible thoughts of wanting to hurt myself or not want to be alive anymore. And um, it took a long time for me to actually acknowledge that myself. So it was kind of validating to hear like, yes, this is what it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could talk for hours, but I was pretty much struggling with self-harm and suicide. Um, I was drinking alcohol when I shouldn't have been. And I know, I think you listened to the one episode of my ex-boyfriend, but um, basically the story is that I was struggling in silence for about a year and a half before my boyfriend at the time started to see some of the signs, see some of the self-harm marks and kind of like question what was going on. So he was the only support that I had or real support that I had because he knew what was going on at the time. Um, and then one night, this was not the first time, but I had said I had a plan um, for suicide that night and he had reached out to my parents right away. And I think this was after months of me unloading everything onto him. So he just kind of got overwhelmed as well, which I've talked to him about today. Um, so just the fact that he did go to my parents, I think, was what I needed, even though it was horrible and traumatic. Uh, I was brought to the hospital. There was a whole situation around it, and that did not go well. It was a horrible hospital visit. Um, but yeah, it was kind of the little pivot that I needed because it started my therapy journey. It started my medication journey. It made like everybody around me aware of what was going on. So we had more language around what was happening and more understanding. Um, but yeah, I mean, still ups and downs to this day. I definitely would not say I'm cured, but I have learned a lot more about how it affects me and how to deal with it. Long story short. Yeah. yeah thank thank you, you so much for sharing. I kind of want to throw it back for a second to you're talking about like at the beginning of your mental health journey early in high school, it just kind of the same thing happened to me. It gets chopped up to like, oh, they're just hormonal or they're PMSing or it's on their, they're on their period or something and it's like why is there this stereotype that if you're a young female and you're moody or anxious or depressed it like has to do with your cycle and it's just not looked any further into and that same thing happened with me and I don't know if it's just because at the time when we were growing up like I don't know what schools are like now but it was not talked about at least in my experience, I don't know if yours was any different, if you talk about mental health in school at all, but we definitely did not. No, yeah, it wasn't too big of a conversation. So similarly to you, I just don't think anybody knew any better or like even knew what mental health was. Yeah. Um, but today I'm sure there has to be more of a conversation around it in schools. And I know that there is, um, but I still think there's a lack of knowledge around like our cycles and periods. I actually had someone on to talk about hormonal health on my podcast, but um, it's just really interesting that so many women don't know what's happening to their bodies, how you can link your cycle to your exercise routines, to your like what foods you need on that part of your week, whatever it is. Like there's so much knowledge to it that we've just, I mean, at least me have never, ever been taught. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, same. Emily and I talk about this all the time. Like, there's just so much about our cycle that we have no idea. I was just talking to my trainer today, and she's getting certified, actually, and, like, being able to help tailor women's workouts around their cycle. I was like, that's so interesting. I can't wait for her to do that for me. So I'll let you know, guys know how it goes <laughs> and if it's beneficial. Yeah, I agree. There's just so, there's a lack of 
research and there's a lack of knowledge and a lack of talking about it, right? Like we have a lot, but because it's a woman's issue, it's not talked about as much as, you know, we know everything about erectile dysfunction you, there is to know. Um, that's just my little soap opera on sexism. <laughs> but um, I do want to highlight the fact that you openly talk about um, suicidal ideation and plans for suicide because I firmly believe that the more we talk about suicide, the less um, trivial, not trivial, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, taboo. Like the less taboo. Yeah, stigmatized it becomes. And with that, more the less stigmatized or taboo it is, the more people will talk about it and the more lives we could save. Right. Like if people, a lot of times people don't share with people that they're struggling with suicide because it's a really scary topic and definitely not invalidating how scary it is. Just, you know, um, acknowledging and, you know, thanking you for having a platform and talking about it. Because like I said, the more we talk about it, the less taboo it comes. And I truly, truly believe that we can save lives by talking about the subject more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am really passionate about it and something I, agree with you on wholeheartedly I think like the more we say the word because you know if you say it you like shiver people get uncomfortable it's just a weird feeling yeah so the more that we actually talk about it the more accepted the more people will be willing to understand the effects of it I think and for me personally I don't know about you guys but on TikTok and stuff people started putting like suicidal with like an asterisk on the eye like you can't write the full word because it's like a trigger word and a lot of people put the asterisks because it acts as a trigger for anybody who might have had like suicidal ideation before. Um, and I was having this conversation with someone else as well. Is just that when I see the asterisks, like I kind of get triggered because it makes it look like it's a bad thing. And then I feel ashamed. And then I'm like, no, this is not that bad of a topic. It is, but not in that way. Mm-hmm, um, right. And it's like triggering to see other people walk on eggshells around it because then I can't accept it myself, if that makes sense. So I think it does mm-hmm. go both ways and it's just a very complicated topic. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it is super complicated. Even in like the ther- as a therapist and like the therapist world, it's a complicated subject. Some therapists are like, make sure you're asking your clients about it regularly. And some therapists are like, don't ask your clients about it because then it might put that in their head. And it's like, I disagree with that wholeheartedly because if someone's suicidal, they're suicidal. And by me asking if they're suicidal and they're not suicidal, that's not going to make them suicidal. You know what I mean? Obviously, everyone's different, but like, I've never had ask somebody about, you know, if they have suicidal ideation or if they've ever attempted, I've never had it be like, okay, that's the trigger that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to become suicidal now. And so, yes, while it's a very complex subject, I really do believe the more we talk about it and the, you know, I think some people do the asterisks because TikTok, like, I know they were like people were doing that for like abortion because they would like take down their videos with certain words. So whether yeah. it was for that or, I mean, they shouldn't be doing that, whether it was for that or, you know, to not trigger people, I feel like if we normalize the subject more, then we wouldn't need to put asterisks for it, whatever the reason is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, Emily, I noticed that too. I mean, I'm not on TikTok very much, but I noticed that they'll put asterisks on like anything that could possibly be a trigger word. And I'm like, wait, is this actually a trigger word that I need to like be mindful of and, you know, my everyday speech? Or is it just something that has to do with TikTok's algorithm or something? 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I That's another, like, t- topic in the therapy world that's talked about a lot. Like, do you not say certain things, not just with clients, but in general, like, do not say certain things because the potential of it triggering somebody? And something, I heard a perspective one time that really change the way I think about the word trigger and just triggers in general is that if somebody does become triggered, that gives them a space to be like, this is triggering me. This is a sign that I need to work on it. Right. Like in, in my mental health story and my internship was working in sexual abuse and um, sex addiction. And so that triggered my 10, 12 years suppressed trauma of sexual abuse and so it's like that was a sign that I need to work on this so while being triggered can be super uncomfortable and you know of course like if it's triggering you to unalive yourself as I say on TikTok like that can be obviously like that's not a good thing and we want to make sure you have supports but it just it I think sometimes if you're in a space to work through things or not in space to work through things and it's a sign that you need to work through things sometimes your triggers can teach you and show you that hey this is something that's upsetting to you this is something related to your trauma so let's let's work on it right Mm -hmm. obviously it's a very complex subject but that's just something that changed my view on triggers and like trying to not trying not to trigger people isn't always the best solution Mm -hmm. I like that a lot I think it's just like a really unique approach to a trigger and it's like a big mentality thing just kind of coming at it from an open mind and compassionate standpoint and looking at it like okay this is bothering me how can I address it how can I like I always say like just make the best out of a shitty situation so like dealing with what you have in a positive way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah seeing it okay this is going to be really hard to work through this but it does give me the opportunity to heal right I think it can take a long time to get to that perspective so it's not this sense of you know, there's a bright side to everything, or it'll be okay, or, you know, it's, everything happens for a reason, or, you know, it's good that it happened to you type of thing. It's more, and that's my, you know, personal belief, everyone has different mindsets around it, but I think it can take some time to get there. So like, if you're hearing this, and you're like, no, that's, that's not how I feel like that's totally valid, too. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that um, during kind of the forefront of your mental health journey that your then boyfriend was able to reach out to your parents and help, you know, kind of facilitate you getting that help. Can you, if you're okay with it, talk a little bit about how it was to have somebody reach out on your behalf? And then maybe we can, I know I listened to one of your episodes talking about like resources that you can provide other people. And I think that's just a really um, important topic to, topic to talk about because we all have friends or family members that at one point or another are struggling and I feel like it can be hard to feel comfortable enough to reach out and like you might not necessarily know what to say to them or how to get them help or you don't want to you know step on their toes or something like that so do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, it was definitely horrible. I was not happy that he went, uh, quote unquote, behind my back to tell my parents because um, it wasn't what I wanted. But where I'm at now, I can say like it was what I needed. And, you know, I was mad for a few days and then I like started to understand why he had to do it. Um, 
and I think it really just showed a lot on his character as well like I am so glad he did do that because it saved me essentially um so yeah we did an episode talking about like how to support someone in a situation like that and I think like you said it is such an important I guess just general knowledge to have as like a community mental health advocate um because you can always find yourself in a position with somebody so you kind of need to know what to say and the first thing I always highlight is that like if you're in a supportive role you are not a professional you're not there to like therapist this person's way through their crisis um, you can only do what you can with what you know and if needed you can always call 911 I think they're also coming out with a new mental health crisis line which is really exciting Mm -hmm. Um, but just knowing that there are professional resources available that you can refer them to and I always say that's never a bad idea even if it doesn't go well you can never go wrong with that if you have the resources to do that Um, And then just language in general, like stay away from bad phrases, you know, like, oh, people have it worse and it's going to be okay. Just relax. Like that does not help anybody ever. So just really being compassionate and supportive. Um, Jack.org is a mental health organization that um, has these like be there five golden rules. Um, So I highly suggest if anybody wants to read that, it just talks about how to be there for somebody, what to say, what not to say. Um, And then also like it focuses on you, like self-care for the supportive person, because I think that's really important dealing with heavy emotions. Um, Sorry, was that even the question that you asked? I just realized I'm going off. No, that was a great answer. And I think it's really important that you pointed out too, that there's support for the supporting people in somebody's life that's having a crisis because I know I've even experienced that too where I'm trying to help somebody with something in their personal life and I'm like oh my gosh why does this feel like so heavy to me as well and I know Emily will say that's because empathy but it it is something (laughs) that you know like everybody has to be mindful of of you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people too kind of mindset or at least to fully like you know be there to support somebody in the way that they may need so we'll definitely link that website um down in the show notes too but that sounds like a great resource and i know when we first connected we very briefly talked about the difference in um, like mental health care in the u.s and canada so I'm not sure. I know you mentioned that mental health care is not included under like your universal health insurance, but in terms of resources and kind of like awareness campaigns and the way mental health is talked about, do you see a difference between Canada and the U.S. just from when you've been in both places? Yeah, so just for the services themselves, it's not the same for all of Canada, just in my province of Ontario, we have like our provincial health care um, that covers most of your physical needs and things like that. Um, but then mental health care is not included in that. So it's not covered unless you have it through an insurance plan with your company or your parents work. Um, so it, that does vary across Canada. I'm not sure how it is for other places, but I know for you, most of it is public and private and having to pay out of pocket for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Correct. it's either insurance or private pay, but mm-hmm. the insurance is like not 
we don't obviously have universal health care in America. So the yeah. insurance is like private insurance through work or through, you know, a lot of people, I was actually just having this conversation in my last session of the day because my client was saying that they're switching to COBRA or Medicaid or Medicare, one of them, and we don't accept those. So like there's so many limitations to accessing mental health. And it seems like, and even though you guys have universal health care, it can still be a, a struggle in Canada to get the resources you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I guess the second part of that is just, we do have some free resources, but that's where you get your six month long wait times, um, your inability to actually see a therapist weekly where you can only get them for like 10 minutes. So a lot of limitations on that end, but I will say that there are a lot of amazing things in place to try to make up for the lack of accessibility. Um, I just still don't think it's enough. And I think we are very similar um, between the two countries in terms of general awareness it is something that you're seeing talked about more. You know, you have like commercials for it. It's featured on all the new shows and movies. So you do hear more about it and it is being normalized, which doesn't seem like a big deal in the long run, but it really does help just with like a general understanding. And, you know, there has to be steps of every fight. So at the end, I think we're leaning more towards like policies in place to get people the help that they need, more prevention services that we don't even have to get to the intervention. Um, so a lot of things down the road, but I just think we can't skip over all these important steps because there are still many ways to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know. In... Sorry, go ahead, Em. No, I, I was going to go off on something, uh, something different. <laughs> so Ashley, why don't you say what you were going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I know in my experience, um, like my insurance, I've been on multiple different insurance, health insurances, and none of them ever cover my talk therapy. I've been with, you know, different therapists throughout my lifetime. None of them are ever covered. And it sucks because therapy is expensive. Like I live in a like medium cost of living area. So as for me, luckily, like it is affordable and I can do it, but I can imagine how expensive it is, especially in like a really high cost of living area. And I encourage people all the time to talk to a therapist. And I've literally talked to my friends in person that are like, yeah, like my insurance doesn't cover it. I can't afford to go every week and then, or even like a couple times a month. And it's like, what are you supposed to say to that? Like, it just makes you as a mental health advocate feel like, well, shit, like, what am I supposed to do? I'm telling somebody to go get help, but help is out of their reach financially. And it, you can't blame them because it is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so expensive. And I can tell you how many times I have clients cancel because they, you know, they lost their insurance or they can't afford to pay it this week. And I totally understand. Right. I also believe that therapy should be more expensive but that's from a therapist's perspective, just because of how much money it costs to be a therapist. But it does need to be systemic in that insurance companies see the value in therapy because a lot of times they don't. And so, you know, not more expensive for the client, but more expensive for the insurance companies. And so that we can we can be paid more, but then more people can have access to mental health care. And so, yeah, there's a like kind of like you were saying, Angelica, like there's a lot of um, systemic and policy changes that need to be in place in order for, you know, of course, like the normalizing and talking more about it is absolutely important. And then yeah, taking steps further to have people get 
have have the ability to for people to get more access to therapy too. That is such an important point in this whole discussion that many people skip over is that they blame the therapist for therapy being so expensive. And I just always need to explain that it's not. And just because the amount of work it takes to become a therapist, school fees, whatever, the actual amount of work you're doing with these clients, like per hour, there's so many things that people don't take into consideration. And like you said, it has to be from higher places, seeing the value in what therapy has to offer and putting more funding towards it. That way the therapist can get what they're actually capable of getting. And I think a lot of people think that like therapists are crooks and are just trying to take your money, but 99% of the people working in this field have empathy. They care. (laughs) They are in this to help people. Like who else would want to sit there and listen to other people's problems if like they didn't actually care. So I think it's just, uh, sorry, that was another rant going off of yours, but just highlighting that you are correct. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I appreciate that because yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many stigmas that exist with therapy and being a therapist and like, oh, you're, you don't really care. You're just paid. And it's like, listen, if you go through six years of school and thousands of dollars worth of fees to become a therapist exams, if you do all that to make less than what someone in corporate America makes, then, you know, I don't know what you're doing because it's so much work. So I can't imagine I could easily be making more money doing something else, but I, and something I do less this, emotionally yeah. taxing too. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I could be in corporate America and work, you know, work my way up to be in the C-suite. You know, I could do all that, but I don't want to do that. I want to be a therapist, but yeah, recognizing that it is not the therapist. Like we, we try to set our rates to be reasonable, right. But also understanding that it is a lot of work and it's taxing and, um, we deserve to be paid just like any healthcare professional does. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the first thing that comes to my mind when we talk about this is also like teachers are so underpaid and that's such a vital, like therapists and teachers are such vital parts of our working society in s- terms of supporting people, the young people of the world and then also our adults too like those are two core people that are like severely underpaid and underappreciated and hopefully that changes in the future yeah healthcare professionals and helping professionals is what I should have said because I absolutely agree that teachers and child care providers um deserve more as well yeah but we can get into a discussion about the minimum wage but that's another for sure for sure for another day (laughs) And we can like edit this out, Angelica, if you don't want to talk about this, but my, I was just listening to you talk about like Canada and maybe this is just like my American brain that's just like so curious about other people in other countries. Like, I'm just wondering what it like as a Canadian, like when you see all this stuff happening in America, like one, how do you process that? And two, like, what are your thoughts, you know, on like, geez, what is happening in that country? Because when I went abroad, people were like, what is your president? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. You know what yeah, I mean? So it was like, I've had some. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was in during Trump's era. But yeah, it's just, I've always been curious about other people from outside the country, what their thoughts on, especially in the last like two years with like COVID and everything. 
Yeah, it's definitely heavy. It's a lot to take in. Um, a lot of different emotions too. Um, I'm like angry and sad for everything going on. But then a part of me feels guilty because I'm a Canadian and I'm not living in America. And then another part of me feels disheartened because there's like, what can I say that's really going to make a change on these large levels? Um, and then just a mix of everything. So it's been a roller coaster for me the last little bit, just seeing, and I just posted a reel about this too, just I saw that. all the heavy things that are happening, school shootings, repeated suicides in the NCAA specifically, Roe v. Wade, like so many things after a global pandemic as well that we've gone through in the last little bit that like as a Canadian looking in, I see that it's a little messed up over there. But then again, it's like, it's not all that different here. And when all the stuff about Roe v. Wade came out, um, you had a lot of Canadians bickering saying like, it's very likely to happen here as well. Like, don't get your hopes up that you're a Canadian because we have people in our political parties right now fighting for the same thing. So on one end, it's not all that different. I'm, I guess, more scared for the outcome because we don't know what will come here in our country while so many people are right now fighting against will it get reversed we would hope um but as of right now i think there's a lot of just questions and me like as i would say like just a passionate person who cares about people um it's really hard to see and know that i can do so much talk about it try to raise awareness post things whatever but at the end of the day like what say do I have just as a general citizen, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting dichotomy because I know Emily and I were joking earlier, like, yeah, maybe we'll just move to Canada. Like, we'll just, we'll see you there. And it's such a relevant point that you bring up that we're probably more, there's more similarities than differences with our countries and you know, just because something is happening here doesn't mean that it can't happen in Canada too. So I think it's just an important message that, you know, our specifically in terms of like Roe v. Wade, like your rights aren't necessarily guaranteed anywhere. And something that happens in the U.S. does greatly affect people in other countries as well. Because like, as a Canadian, you don't even have to post about it. And I know you have been, which we're so thankful for, but you know, you could just be like, all right, I'm across the border. Like, doesn't matter to me. Like, good luck to everybody. Like you could just totally mm -hmm. ignore it. But I think it's uh, really awesome that you've been an ally through the whole process. Isn't that well, just like, sorry, no, go ahead. It like blows my mind how this could even happen and to me like it's just a general human rights issue so for me to be a Canadian and not need to have a say like that's kind of messed up in my opinion because so many people who are just like me just living like a few kilometers on the other side mm -hmm. can't do the same things I do and like don't get me wrong I wake up every single day and I'm so grateful to be a Canadian my general health and safety has always been protected I've had good opportunities, all these things. But then I learn about our country's history. I learn what people in our political party are fighting for. And it's like, it's really just, I guess, a slap in the face in the worst way possible to just see that like, 
so many bad things can happen so fast, obviously. And there's such big detriments. Like, I think abortion is like the center of the Roe v. Wade argument right now, but it's so much more than that. And Mm -hmm. when people think abortion, it's mainly just people who got pregnant by accident and and don't want to have the kid, which is fair. If that's what you want to do, go for it. But there's so many other health reasons. I saw a post saying that somebody needed chemo, but she was pregnant, so she had to abort the pregnancy before starting chemo. So she couldn't afford to travel states. I think some company had to help her out. But just like that is one example of thousands of people that just can't get the general health care that they need. And mm-hmm. branching off that, you know, they're going after LGBTQ rights and other things. And there's just so many other things protected or were protected under Roe v. Wade. So I'm scared to like see what's going to come. But yeah. 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 We're, we're scared too. And like Ashley said, we appreciate that you're an ally, which is kind of crazy. Like to think that you have to be an ally to America <laughs> in this, in that sense, like American citizens who are hurt by this, you know, cause when I think of ally, I think, you know, being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community or to, um, people of color, right? And just like different minority groups or like a if you're a man being an ally to a woman. So it's just, I don't know, I never thought about it like that until just now. And it's kind of blowing my mind that like we as Americans need, um, because they teach you that America is the greatest country in the world, right? And so then when you're realizing, actually there's a lot of oppression here and not, not just realized now with Roe v. Wade, of course, but like realizing that like, okay, people – People out from other countries view like, okay, well, we support the Americans who are hurt by these decisions. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm processing what you just said right now. And I I think it's just, I hadn't thought about it in that sense before. Yeah. Well, Emily, I can't speak for you, but I know for me, I feel like growing up in our education system, it was very like America centric and like we're number one like we're the best there's a lot of nationalism especially in our education system growing up and just kind of instilled in us from a young age like that patriotic sense and people having the american flag in their yard and i can't speak to what that's like for other countries but you're right like we grow up thinking oh, America doesn't need allies because, like, we're number one. Like, that's literally basically what they teach us. And it's so crazy to look back and think and meet people from other countries. And you're like, wait a second. It is not like that in the real world. And that's why I think, you know, there's a lot of ignorance, especially in American culture and the education system, because politicians are actively trying to also block, like, a you know, critical race theory and teaching certain subjects and teaching about slavery and all these different talking about gay people, saying the word gay. It's right. And it's just going to lead to more and more of that ignorance within our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think on social media and stuff too, there were a few people from other countries and I'm not sure which ones, but where abortion was already illegal from where they were coming from. And to me, that like blew my mind because it wasn't something I ever really thought of um, or acknowledged, but to see like these women who cannot do it. And then now that America, the number one country, does all this, 
does all these things, like the whole world is now involved. And you have people posting from all over, which is amazing to see on the other side of that, just the amount of videos and powerful women and people who just like care um, has been like really uplifting and I guess supportive during this time because you see how many people think the same way you do, which seems like just general human rights, but um, who care about similar things and are fighting to show you that like you're not alone posting about yeah. this does help you're inspiring people um so I'm, I've been really trying to like hang on to that side of the coin to try to stay optimistic about this mm-hmm. and kind of that Ab- sense absolutely. of community too absolutely and like we're gonna have to now learn from other countries and how I think it was Mexico I've I I can't remember but they like the, we adopted like the green um color of green for abortion rights and I'm pretty sure that we took that from another country and so again it's this idea of like we're having to learn from countries that um are quote unquote right that like worse off than us we're trying to we're learning from them and it's just like it's a um, kind of like what I was talking about before, it's kind of like a mindset shift about America. And it's been, you know, years of kind, kind of unlearning a lot of things that we were taught in school, shifting to be like, okay, now like we need to learn from other countries and how they fought for, even though America's done this before in the seventies and sixties, but learn more. Okay. How did you, how did you and fight 80s that? And nineties. <laughs> it's been consistent. <laughs> no, yeah, you're you're so right. Like we, but clearly it didn't. You know, we needed to do more, and we need to do more. You know, not it's obviously not on the individuals, but now it's gonna be right to fight and to you know fight for human rights because you're absolutely right that it's a human rights issue. Mm-hmm. And kind of bouncing off, talking about the sense of camaraderie or community that you have with other people that are posting about this as well. Do you remember how you felt when you first posted about your mental health journey and kind of like getting, you know, your platform off the ground? Did you have a lot of people coming to you being like, I had no idea or I feel the same way. Can you just talk about the, you know, kind of feedback that you got when you first started? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah, it was so scary. I think it just felt like opening up this book that like nobody knew existed um and I was really scared just mainly for like fear of judgment um people calling me weak typical things um but I just think like we were saying before like it's such a taboo topic so for me to openly say that I had like my parents telling me you know what if a future job looks at that? They're not going to hire you because they're going to see that you struggled and you might not be capable of doing the job. Um, Or when I would post things, people would reach out being like, oh, I didn't know that was wrong with her. And like to like question my family members, like weird stuff that it was never really like anybody else's business. Hmm. Um, But yeah, once I got past that and I just kind of posted about it more consistently, um, I think I did have more people reaching out, sharing that they've been through similar things or something I said really resonated with them. And that's not what you do it for, obviously. But the more I started getting those messages, like it really just showed that, you know, what I have to say, what I've gone through, all these things can kind of form together into some community. And if everybody else is scared to talk about it, like I've already put myself out there, so might as well keep going. 
Um, mm. Just keep sharing these things that people are scared to admit or acknowledge themselves, but things that pretty much happen to everybody, struggles that we all go through. Um, just people are scared to really openly admit that because you want to keep this strong image. And so, yeah, I, I think through that, I just kind of kept feeding off of the responses that I was getting. Um, and I guess that just allowed me to like really find my voice, build a platform. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And everyone deserves to have a voice. So I'm really glad that you found yours and then you inspire other people to talk about their mental health and to be open about it. Because kind of like I was saying before with suicide, the more we talk about anything related to mental health, the less stigmatized it becomes and the more people reach out for help and realize that their mental health matters just as much as their physical health. And Angelica, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for myself as a non-mental health professional, since I'm not technically like in the professional field of mental health, just more of an advocate like yourself, I find that I feel like my biggest impact is just by talking about my mental health journey and being really open about it and talking with friends and family about like what I've been through or struggles that I have right now, or even just like saying the word therapy and talking about getting help and just kind of destigmatizing like everything that is around the mental health universe has been like the biggest reformation that I have seen in my work. Yeah, as a non-professional, my like biggest thing that's helped me is just by being myself and just like openly and honestly talking about those hard times just if I have to make a fool out of myself to make someone else feel comfortable then I'll do it kind of thing um and it's like you guys know like posting the reels doing the trends doing everything and it's just trying to get that conversation going and yeah just showing who I am not I'm big on like authenticity and social media I think is a highlight reel and body image that's a whole nother topic but something I talk about a lot as well um so just really showing up as your true self and accepting who you are and who you want to be and really leaning into that absolutely and as a mental health professional I so much appreciate both of you for sharing your stories because you know, when I talk about it, it's like, well, obviously you feel that way, right? That's what you do for a living. Not that people say that, but I just feel like, you know what I mean? Like, of course, I'm going to advocate for it. It's my job. Um, but, you know, it's not your guys's job, but you still care so much about your mental health and about the mental health health of other people. So I commend you both. Thanks. But I also noticed that just when I and more open about talking about mental health that there even if it's something that I thought was stigmatized or maybe only happened to me other people are like oh yeah like I've totally dealt with a very similar situation or they had a family member or a friend so you know nothing that I have opened up about has ever been like totally unique to myself even though I thought it was at the time so I think there's so much freedom and learning to be vulnerable as well and being able to just like say yep this is what's going on and it kind of takes the 
it kind of shifts the power dynamic in a way as well. And I feel like it kind of gives you as the individual power back from like what you're going through. Oh yeah. There is so much power and vulnerability and community. Cause I think those two go hand in hand and I think it just gives words to what's going on. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with these words and these things that we're talking about, but normalizing is such a bigger topic than just talking about it. Yeah. Um, so really making people feel comfortable, you know, like when you say therapy, don't cringe, like it's okay if you go to see a therapist and take meds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I and then, you all know, the time. I have to take my Prozac today. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <damn>, it's time. <laughs> and that's research based, right? In that vulnerability and community and sharing about your story um, does shift that power dynamic you're talking about, decreases shame. And it, you know, can be, it's a necessary part of the healing journey for sure. And it can be really impactful. Brene Brown, that's all of her work. Yeah. <laughs> Huge Brene yeah. Brown stands on this podcast. I love her. <laughs> yeah, literally. She is like, I feel like she's goals for the whole mental health community. It's like everybody wants to be her, no matter what <laughs> professional capacity that you're in. It's like she is, she's the end goal. <laughs> literally, she's our on the top of our hierarchy of needs as therapists. (laughs) (laughs) So, Well, the last thing I wanted um, to kind of talk to you about, if you're comfortable with it, is I recently listened to your episode about um, kind of coming out to your family about being in a relationship with a woman for a while, a couple of years ago. And um, I just, I know that you were, talking about you're very very vulnerable with that story you were really scared to like talk about it and hit publish on it because not everybody in your life knew and it was such a difficult time in your life so I want to say I really really appreciate you you know coming out and talking about that and just being totally vulnerable and open and honest because I'm sure that was like he ripped a tequila shot at the beginning of it. I'm like, I feel that I would probably have to do the same. So props to you. What kind of feedback did you get? Like, did you have anybody reaching out with um, like a similar story or supporters saying, you know, thank you for doing this? Yeah, that's one part of my story. I actually don't talk about often what where like a lot of change growth problems happened just given the circumstances um so yeah releasing the episode was kind of just a spontaneous decision that I went full force into which was terrifying because a lot of people didn't know my family doesn't know I was gonna go public with it um so a lot of different again internal stigma of things that were said to me what would happen if people found out what people would think of me, what people would think of my family, like just so many things that looking back, it doesn't make any sense, but um, just kind of some things I grew up with. Um, And that time was really hard for me when I did release it, just some like, I guess, personal issues with sharing information. Um, But the positive feedback that I got from it was like out of this world, incredible. I have never felt so supported and, I guess, proud of myself for making that decision because 
of how many people reached out to me saying that they've gone through similar things. They've never been able to talk about their struggle with same sex relationships, some of their family problems, like so many specific details and things that were shared with me after that. And I learned so much about so many different people that I would have had no clue that they were going through this or whatever. So it did bring me closer to a lot of people and kind of like that side of allyship that the more I was hiding that that part of my journey, like I was just doing a disservice to anybody because if I'm, I guess, vulnerable enough to share my story, like I could make such a big impact on so many people. Um, so that's why I did ultimately decide to do it. And I think the biggest message that I got from releasing that and from talking to everybody was that so many people might be struggling with just their own sexuality, so many internal issues that we have no idea about. People in friendships that I've known through high school, their friends didn't know, family members, like so many people reached out to me that I was like, you have no idea who next to you might be struggling with these things and they're scared to come out. They're scared to be honest with themselves about what's going on. Um, so just really, I guess, promoting that community aspect again and just treating people with kindness. Like, you know, you're not going to trust everybody enough on that level to just share your whole life. But knowing that you do have people in your life that you do trust, that you can share these deep feelings with and really be supported and not turned away just for being yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's incredible. And I feel like that was sort of like a good wrap up of our episode because the themes I was hearing is vulnerability, community, right? The ability to be open and to share and to get responses from other people who may be going through the same thing. And that just shows you never know what can happen when you do open up and share on whatever the topic may be. And hopefully, you know, it's always, it can always be that positive, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing so much about your mental health and about the, the work you do to destigmatize and increase vulnerability in community. Yeah, I wore my embrace. It says embrace all love. You can't see it. Cause I think <laughs> that we need more love in our lives right now. And I knew we were going to talk about this stuff. I'm like, we just need to promote more like just general care and compassion in the world. Um, so yeah, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I loved our chat. Hopefully it will be able to help someone. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Do you mind um, letting everybody know like what your handles are for your socials and for your podcast so they can find you? Yeah, sure. So the podcast is called The Revolutionized Mind and it can be found everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google. There's so many. They're all <laughs> they're everywhere um all my social media is at the revolutionized mind and that's instagram tiktok and facebook and yeah that's pretty much it yeah awesome. thank you so much if you're into our podcast you will 100 percent be into the revolutionized mind as well it's very similar in having like different professionals on and people talk about their personal experiences with mental health so 100 percent 10 out of 10 recommend so thanks for joining us today and we will be um joining you for another conversation in a couple weeks so make sure to look for us on the revolutionized mind as well
Thank you for supporting our show. Please consider subscribing and giving us a rating and review. As always, if anything particular was resonating with you from today's content, please do not hesitate to reach out to a licensed professional mental health expert.